Previously on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. But I do think for Michigan State, Mel Tucker is a really good hire. Mel has roots in Ohio. Obviously, he was here at Ohio State. He coached up with Cleveland with the Browns. So he does have connections, which, of course, are very important when we talk about recruiting. And recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. And so congratulations to Mel. Congratulations to Michigan State. And I do think Michigan State, unlike most Pac-12 schools, maybe besides USC. Yeah, it's a good job. And maybe Mel Tucker Oregon, is the man at Michigan State, as we told Oregon, you the other day. Mr. Spielman is uh, back here for a uh, Valentine's Day edition of the Spielman and Hooley podcast. And um, this is going to be an interesting um, situation at Michigan State because uh, Mel Tucker's looking for coaches. The word from the free press uh, spills as we start a Friday edition of the podcast is that um, everybody who was there is now out. Tweets on their accounts, um, rumors and reports say they're gone, and that's a lot of uh, Jim Trestle guys, a lot of Mark D'Antonio mm-hmm. guys, a lot of guys with ties to Ohio State, Jim Bowman, uh, Mark Staten, uh, Paul Haynes, I don't think Don Treadwell was ever here, but he was definitely a Tress guy. So sure. what's, what's with the market for coaches at this point in time on the calendar? It seems like late to look for coaches and late to go get jobs if you're a coach out of work. First of all, it's the reality of the business, and I hate it. I hate that part of it, but everybody understands the rules that they're playing under. And mm-hmm. if, you, if the head guy is fired, then the chance of you getting let go uh, rises. And Mel uh, has a right, in my opinion— I would want this right if I were head coach to bring in anybody I wanted to bring in. It's rare. And by the way, Ken Manning, who's been up at Michigan State for a long time, former Ohio State strength coach guy, mm-hmm. uh, recently retired. Yes, so, he did. So I'm, it's it's difficult. Uh, usually the case may be that one or two or three or four guys hang on for at least a year or two years or at least have the opportunity to interview uh, Mel has a way that he wants to do it and wants his guys to do it, and he has the right to do it that way. Everybody knows that rule. I remember when uh, – Obviously, Coach, he's got guys at Colorado he can bring with him. Yeah, yeah well, is probably if they the want to come, or he might have guys at other places that yeah. uh, always wanted to work with Mel. I mean, all these guys developed these relationships over these years, Bruce, and, you know, they coaching's an interesting profession – uh, those guys trust each other, and some guys they don't trust. And uh, Mel has to do it his way. I feel bad for all those guys. I really do because I don't know what type of job is out there now because usually these jobs are filled and they're ready to go. But if somebody worked with somebody in the past or who knows what the rules today, the way Alabama does it, just hire another consultant yeah, if, you exactly. have the, if you have that in your funds. So, well, we'll get and, back and the to other one, one of the port, yeah. important factors – Michigan State has really gone all in on this. Um, not only did Mel, they double his uh, income from two to four something, four million. They've also uh, allotted him a salary of six million. Yes. For assistant coaches. For ten so, jobs. So what? I, I mean, you know, what's that? T- I, I, that's a commitment in, in my eyes. It's a commitment to to getting. Uh, Top notch coaches, and you have to to be able to compete, especially in the Big Ten East. Uh, we will come back to that because I do think that's an interesting discussion, and we talk about the Big Ten East, and we talk about the Big Ten, and they're all in the same league, but uh, they're all in the same conference. They're not all in the same league, I like to say, because you're going to see when we go through the money that these Spartan assistant coaches were making 
uh, how different life is from uh, being an Ohio State assistant coach to being a Michigan State assistant coach. But we have Ohio State news uh, following up on uh, the unfortunate topic we had to discuss on Monday. Uh, Jason Wint, Amir Reap uh, have been kicked off the Ohio State football team. They were arraigned yesterday, uh, charges of rape and kidnapping. Uh, We said it was Ryan Day's first off-field test. Um, I don't know. What uh, were you surprised? I guess a little bit. Yes, I was surprised too that they were kicked off right away. I thought he'd suspend them and wait for the case to be completed. I will say that I don't think this means they're done at Ohio State. If the question I'd like to ask, and we haven't been able to uh, get access to Ryan Day to ask it, is if they are exonerated completely. Will they be allowed back on the team? Or if they are plead to or found guilty of a misdemeanor, will they be allowed back on the team? Those are two, I think, fair questions in light of how like guys like Storm Klein and Carlos Hyde have previously been kicked off the team and then found their way back mm-hmm. on the team once the case was adjudicated. I, I think that would be the the fair way to go, in my opinion. I don't know what, the, what his rules are within the rules, yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, he said, you know, obviously they, they did not meet our expectations, so he bounced them. Okay, I, I I mean, what does we don't know what that means. So the in other words, I'm going to your question of whether they plead to a misdemeanor. If they plead to a misdemeanor, does that fall under his personal rules for each player? Uh, does that um, allow them to be back on the team? I and this is, sounds very callous, but it's very true. I think at Ohio State you can take a stronger stand than you can take at other places because of the amount of talent that they've accrued at certain positions and the amount of players that they have. And so when he goes into making a decision, I think it's easier for him to make a tough decision like, all right, your guys are gone, just from a pure football point of view. I'm not saying that that's the number one thing that he's thinking about, but certainly that has to go into the equation because he still has a responsibility to to his football team as a whole. And being at Ohio State, it's easier to say, okay, you guys are gone no matter what happens. I have and always will and always have fallen under the blanket of you're innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. You're not guilty until proven innocent. It's a what, what they're accused of is horrendous. but uh, And I think bad judgment, obviously, because they put themselves in a, in a very difficult, uh, bad situation. But I don't think that they should be done if they're exonerated. Now, I think that's crazy. I think it's, you know, you ruin a young man's life. Now, if they're guilty... Then you got to pay the consequences. What if they're guilty of a misdemeanor? It depends. Gross, what I don't the know. I don't know if gr- I don't know if gross sexual imposition is a. Misdemeanor, I don't know. But if it if the misdemeanor hint, hints that this uh, young woman was forced to do something against her will, if that is even possible for that for something against her will to be a. If misdemeanor. If they plead to that, then that's probably something that you know it's probably better that you go and get a second chance someplace else. Yeah, depending under the rules that he has. You I know. would say, for my just personal taste, I would want them to be completely exonerated right. before I would consider letting them. But back the problem, the, the problem with that is, okay, if you go to trial, then you risk uh, 
maybe getting what twenty years. Oh yeah, you could spend an awful long time. In twenty prison. years in prison, or if the prosecutor offers you a deal or a misdemeanor, uh, where you don't have to do jail time, your life isn't completely ruined. You got a chance to expunge that misdemeanor over a period of time. True. Yeah. I so, mean, that's so what the, that's what a, you have to weigh if you're if you're those two players and. You know, I think from that standpoint, look, I'll take the misdemeanor, and I know the truth. I mean, I'm just saying, if I I, I know the truth, I can see that be very difficult to very difficult. You're yeah. putting your fate in the hands of attorney competence and twelve people you don't know, right, on a jury in that situation. And so that a big risk, yeah. That that's the thing, and I don't know if you know maybe getting back on Ohio State's team is worth that risk. Now, certainly this is all hypothetical situations yeah. we're talking about. And we both obviously uh, let it be known that if, you know, they did rape, kidnap, uh, the force. kidnap, rape, force, whatever they did, and they're guilty of it, then, you know, they need to be pay the consequences to the full extent of the law. Absolutely. But if the if it if if it's something lesser than that and it's it rises to the level of a misdemeanor, I don't. I think they're probably. The more I talk about it, and more I'm playing it out in my head, I think they're probably done at Ohio State. I, I talked to some people I respect who've covered a team a long time, and that's their opinion too. Uh, I'm looking at. I have to frame this through the prism of what's happened with previous players, and I mentioned Storm Klein, and I mentioned uh, Carlos Hyde. There've mm-hmm. been many others. There've been others who've been, you know suspended from the team, kicked off the team, then they come back because their cases end in such a way that the coach reconsiders. So I was trying to look, okay, are there any hints in Ryan Day's statement? Uh, His statement reads this way. I have dismissed Amir Reef and Jason Witt from our football program. I am not making any statement on the criminal charges, but it is clear they did not live up to our standards and my expectations. Okay, I'll get back to the statement in a moment. When I read, I am not making any statement on the criminal charges, that could be uh, taken as, I'm not going to talk about their criminal charges. Or it could be taken, later on you could go back and look at that and say, ah, he was leaving wiggle room for if they're exonerated, I'm going to let them back. Uh, to continue the statement, the athletic department will make sure they both continue to have access to the health and well-being resources available to students and student-athletes. That was the sentence where I went, hmm, Maybe that's required by their scholarship, or does that indicate a commitment that Ohio State is not obligated to make, but for some reason they make it to maintain contact with the two? I, I think, don't know. I what well, my opinion is that I think it covers all the bases. That's what it does, and it's smart. And they don't want to be sued by Amir Reap and uh, Jason. Right, yeah. or, or the, I don't think the university wants to be sued. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you can't automatically assume, which as a society we tend to do, we assume guilt. And it's the same with the Baker Mayfield. We don't know if that's true or it's not true. I, I, I don't know, but it looks awful. You know, the optics look terrible, yeah. and the optics here look awful. And, and so – but they still have certain rights, and, you know, certainly uh, there's been cases and precedent in the past where somebody says something that's, you know, the only thing they're guilty of is poor judgment, mm-hmm. not guilty what they've been accused of. I mean, that's been uh, so, certainly a lesson that we've all learned, I think, over the years of 
of living. The more the more you <laughs> the longer you live, the more you experience it, or the more you witness that. You know, a lot of people have been accused of heinous crimes that aren't guilty. But if they are guilty, then I think the then the school would have more uh, flexibility in how they handle the situation via suspension or you no longer come back or whatever the case may be. Obviously, they'll do jail time if they're guilty of this. So we'll see how it all plays out. I just I caution everybody that I you got to let this play out and see what happens and and see w- what the case may be. And I think if they if they plead or they're guilty, in my opinion, uh, they're probably done at Ohio State. And if they plead a misdemeanor and they're able to go back to school somewhere and get a chance to play, uh, that's probably going to be the case if it's a misdemeanor. That's just a pure guess, yeah. but that's just from looking at certain cases that are similar to this over the years. That's probably how I would uh, see it play out. Well, and they're both three years out of school, so if they want to – I don't know if this, they they would have to petition probably for the supplemental draft at this point in time if yeah, they're but even – But that's a waste even, of time for those if two. If they're even worth it. But, yeah, then nobody's going to spend a draft pick on either one of those guys. The other part of this is – and, again, this is uh, where lack of access um, is frustrating for me as a reporter in that um, – I wonder if part of Ryan Day's thinking here, uh, first of all, I would submit that the the gravity of the charges are such that this doesn't apply uh, at the top of the priority list in this case. But on matters of things that happen that would fall under this umbrella of they didn't meet our team expectations, I would have to think Ryan Day's standard for guys who've been in the program as long as Amir Reap and J- Jason Wint mm-hmm. is different certainly not on rape and kidnapping a freshman can't do that either but i'm saying on on a lot of things a guy who's a senior a guy who's a red shirt you know senior should know again not rape and kidnapping specifically but right. should know that there there's things no i can't do that i can't i can't do this i can't do i'm supposed to be a leader now particularly at that position in that situation where okuda and fuller and Arnett are off to the NFL, you're probably looking at these guys as like leaders on your football team and they're making bad decisions. Well, that's uh, when you look at the challenges of coaching, especially a head coach, we talk about the coaches at Ohio State and the players at Ohio State. There is an investment in that kid, you not bet. only as a football player, obviously, right? That's just the, the, natural order of things, but as a person, even with Mark D'Antonio, who just retired, the testimonies from his players Mm -hmm. of what he meant to them. And so from Ryan Day's perspective, and if it were me, and I'm just trying to put myself in Ryan Day's situation, the one thing that you think of is that you're, you're, you're disappointed. You feel hurt that where, and you blame yourself, where did I go wrong? Mm. Where did I screw up? How come these guys didn't get the message? So he's probably hurt and has taken it a little bit personal. You know, real life Wednesdays, what didn't sink in there? The lessons of of players past that have gotten in trouble or put themselves in this type of situation. We talked about this on January 7th of uh, 2017. We had a team meeting. Well, they've had Brenda Tracy in. They've had the advocate for... 
you know, uh, against uh, these kinds so, of activities. They've had Brenda Tracy in to talk to football team. You know, and so I, I don't know, and I, I think that's the thing that, that probably goes into it. Now, he also has, I believe, cover or the umbrella of the university that has certain rules and guidelines in place sure. that he has to follow. That's his yeah, job. He doesn't have any choice on that. He doesn't have any choice. So I, for him, I think he covered all the bases. I think he's made the right decision. And saying get all this stuff s- sorted out, then we'll reevaluate it, depending on how it works out. But uh, both these guys are in a very, very difficult situation. Um, if they are innocent, I'm truly sorry that they have gone through this and are going through this. Mm-hmm. If they're truly guilty, and I'm not making judgment because I don't have any information or I don't know, then they need to uh, be held to the the consequences that come with that. Absolutely so. Uh, you can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on uh, Facebook. And uh, we'll hit the faith portion of the podcast at the end of the show, as we always do. Appreciate your emails. Appreciate your iTunes reviews. You're slacking on the iTunes reviews, folks. We need some more iTunes reviews. So you get your name read on the podcast if you submit an iTunes review and you say, well, I already have. Yeah, they recycle every 48 hours. So we'd love to have you do that because we love to get fresh opinions on each show if we can, and it helps us in the iTunes ratings. I thought this was interesting. You mentioned it. Uh, Mel Tucker got a $6 million commitment for 10 assistant football coaches. That's a million one more than Mark D'Antonio had. Mm -hmm. I did a story a while back on SI.com backslash college backslash Ohio State about the salaries of Buckeye assistant coaches. They had five assistant coaches this year with bonuses make over a million dollars. Okay? Mike Tressel, defensive coordinator, assistant head coach at Michigan State. Salary, 667000 Okay. Uh, Don Treadwell, running back coach, 318. He'd be by far the lowest paid assistant coach on Ohio State staff. Former head coach at Miami of Ohio. Correct. Paul Haynes, uh, who's also an assistant, former Buckeye assistant, making 415 at Michigan State. He would be uh, right at the lowest paid coach. He would be the lowest paid coach on Ohio State's uh, roster. So uh, this is here's a team. You know, I consider Michigan State a rival, a capable opponent. They played sure. them this past year. They were in the top 25 when Ohio State played them. They've given Ohio State trouble like no Big Ten team has given Ohio State trouble uh, since Urban Meyer came to Ohio State. And yet there's Greg Madison is making twice as much for the quote-unquote same job, defensive coordinator. Kerry Combs is going to make twice what Mike Tressel's making as defensive coordinator at Michigan State. And look – uh, it stands to reason the more you get paid, the better you are at your job, the better you are at your job, the better you're going to do your job, and the better you do your job, the better your football program is going to be. So you wonder why uh, the same teams are in the playoffs every year, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, on and on and on, is because they have the, not only the best players, they have the best assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Well, and the importance of the assistant coaches, right? I mean, oh. look, Ryan Day doesn't do anything with the defense. He's not over there coaching Jeff Akuda. Nope. And making Jeff Akuda a first-round draft choice. That's not his job. Nope. He oversees that coach and making sure that Jeff Akuda is going to turn into a first-round top three pick in the NFL draft, but he's not coaching them. So in order for a, a head coach, he's got to be able to have the flexibility. So why was Mel Tucker, after saying that he's never leaving Colorado, and by the way, I found it interesting that Colorado wouldn't let him go address his team before he left. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, and and again, it's the hypocrisy of the whole thing, though. I mean, you know, 
and mel- coaches are forced to make certain statements, right? I'm not interested. Then they come back and they double everything. I mean, it's almost like you're an idiot, not if you don't take the job. And then Mel uses his leverage. Mm-hmm. He uses his leverage to double the salary, and he says, you're asking me to come in and compete against, I know they're down a little bit, but they beat us, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, who has this amount of money for his coaches' salaries, against James Franklin in Penn State, who has this amount of money and for his coaching sal- yep. salaries. And, of course, the giant that nobody's going to beat in years to come, at least right now in the foreseeable future, Ohio State. How am I going to compete against Ohio State when I have five million to give assistant coaches, and they're giving out ten million? Yeah, they get twice as much coming from a, a school and a philosophy of we're never going to pay our assistant coaches that kind of money. Well, how's that working out for yeah, you? You are it. if you're going to compete. That was the famous Gene Smith quote: "We'll never pay a coordinator a million dollars." Then you know, <laughs> have five and, guys and, and two more real, real close. First of all, I think these guys all earn their money. I do. I mean, assistant coaches—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a tough job. I was talking to my wife about this, and you know, she saw what Mel Tucker was making and coaching and the passion, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, and she goes, "Do you ever regret not getting into coaching?" And I got to be honest with you. Uh, I have never thought about I should have gone into coaching instead of the route that I've taken because I really believe God was looking out for me in this sense. Can I talk about this for a second? Because I think it's pretty interesting because people ask me this all the time because, you know, I get on TV and sometimes I make – pretty interesting comments or I'm able to see certain things and I do believe and I'm not saying this in a cocky way at all I do have a gift where I can see things I've your always, passion for the game and the nuances of the game right. and the things that would make you a good coach clearly come through in your analysis work. right and I and I, I I've always said as a player you know the one thing that one physical attribute that I would not take away that I would if I could protect five of them, Mm -hmm. and I had a choice of ten. One that would be on was my vision. Mm -hmm. I'm able to see things in in a slow-motion-like manner. I'm able to do it in in TV. I was able to do it as a player. I'm not kidding you. I felt when I was in that that quote-unquote zone, Mm -hmm. which I entered as a linebacker in a lot of games, not every game, but a lot of games, everything was slow to me. And they talk players talk about the game slowing down. So I could see things um so that was one thing that I, that I would not take away but going back to my point about not um getting into coaching I think I would have been really good but the problem was uh another quality or curse whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. that I had was that I had to live it 24 7 I lived it as a player 24 7 and I know that if I would have gotten, and I'm talking to her about this, and I said, I said, Carrie, look. And I told Stephanie the same thing. If I go into this coaching thing, I will turn back into what I don't like. That's a person that is only present half the time with you. And when I'm here, half my brain is yeah. back at the football thing. Yeah, That's what it is. And the other thing would be, and we talked, we hit on this a little bit yesterday. Not many people have the the 
the ride that Luke Fickle has. Luke Fickle is the outlier. He sure is. Luke never had to leave the state of Ohio. Luke has uh, a wonderful supporting wife and Amy, and, and w- women that marry football coaches know what they marry. Mm-hmm. He's had a luxury of being at one place for a long period of time. I wouldn't have done that. I would have... I'm very anxious, and if I wasn't, and very ambitious, and I would have gone for the next best job until I found a job that I wanted. I would want to try the NFL. I would want to try college. I would want to try high school. I would want to do everything. I would go for the next best job. And so for me, not getting into coaching, I do believe was a God thing because I don't think, even though I thought it's all I want to do because you and I talked about this, I I think it's even in our – in the book? book that we wrote that uh, I did an article or an interview with Mitch Album, who's a famous writer. Detroit wrote, sports uh, columnist. Detroit sports columnist. Best in the nation several times. Also wrote uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Tuesdays with Maury, yep. A bestseller. And, and and I thought about how shallow I was because I was doing it in the prime of my career. And, I, and he asked me to describe myself. And I said, I'm a football player, I'll coach football, and then I will die. That's who I am. Not one thing about being a husband, not one thing about being a father, not one thing about being a godly man. It was all football, football, football. So I do think God uh, protected me from going into coaching. So that's why I never got into coaching, and that's why when I look back on it, I don't have any regrets about not going into coaching. In fact, I think I was protected from going into coaching. That now that might be a little deep psychological, too much for you. In the I don't morning. think so. I think God had a purpose for your life, and I think God throws up roadblocks, and He also opens doors. And I think He blocked that door from you, and He gave you the peace with having the door blocked. But you interviewed for the head coaching job at Ohio State um, when Coop was uh, let go. Correct. Correct. And you were offered. Did not did Coop not offer you at least the opportunity for a conversation about a spot on the staff after your yes, NFL career ended? He did, yes. Yeah. I, so. I, I was offered numerous jobs in the NFL when I was done playing. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, Coop, I, I forget what coach left, the linebacker job came open and he offered me. And I thought about it. I thought about it hard. And I, something kept me from doing that and and actually it was a time when Stephanie was healthy so I felt like if I was ever going to get into it that was the time to get into it and I for whatever reason couldn't pull the trigger and I think it was either God or something inside of me which right now I, I think back it was probably God kept me from going in and it really the fear of being a slave to the job, which I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a slave to football. And that helped me in many ways. And But it also, I think, uh, I couldn't live to my full potential as a person. I didn't have that ability. And I don't take any pride in saying that. In fact, I think it's a one of the many weaknesses that I do have. But I'm a guy that, is when I do something, I can't, <laughs> I can't comp- compartmentalize. Is, that's a word, correct? Yep. yep. I can't compartmentalize. I'm totally in, and uh, you know, 
That's why I'm sitting here in the basement. <laughs> we are totally in here. Yes, we are. Uh, we talked the other day about Mel Tucker's recruiting strategy and how it would be really smart for him to leverage Ohio and his ties in Ohio. I looked up the guys he recruited when he was at Ohio State. Uh, boy, and it's a who's who. It's Ted Ginn. It's Troy Smith. It's Dustin Fox. It's Anthony Gonzalez. Uh, it's uh, the Glenville Pipeline. Mel Tucker opened the Glenville Pipeline. And so he's got that. He did say the other day that he's going to draw a four- to six-hour radius around East Lansing, and that's their area. And he phrased first and foremost, and he has to say this as Michigan State's head coach, that Detroit, they got to win in Detroit. And I think he's right about that. Ohio State's done very well in Detroit. Yeah, Mike Weber, on and on and on. Ohio State's done very well in the state of Michigan. So he's going to hit Michigan Craig hard. Krenzel, Thomas yeah. Pepper Johnson. Yeah. Uh, this year, Michigan State did not sign any of the top 15 prospects in the state of Michigan. That can't happen. Uh, it's one thing for Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Michigan to pillage them, but they had Kentucky, Penn State, Purdue, well, Maryland, Northwestern come in there this year and get guys. There's a guy that he wants, yes. or Vince Morrow out Vince of, Morrow. Down of Kentucky. who And people will remember his name, I think, in case. Maurice Claret's uncle, I believe. Yeah, Vince is an interesting guy. Vince is a go-getter and a great recruiter. Yeah, and he's done wonders for uh, Mike Stoops down yeah, at, at Kentucky. Sure well, can I, I got to do something. How far is Cincinnati from East Lansing? Three nineteen in a car, so that's four or five hours. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Good. I just want to make sure that he's not closing the door on Cincinnati. He's not closing the door on Cincinnati. I well, well, I guess yeah, because it's straight seventy five. Yeah. So but I think look, <laughs> I just had to I make think, sure that I is, think is if he, cutting he does it off of Columbus or is he going no, south? No, but I think if he does Columbus and Northeast Ohio well. He's going to do very well. Well, and Toledo. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about like, you know, yeah. north. You know, I think he's going to do very, very well. Dayton, you know, north, just right across the state. Yeah. I don't know that Cincinnati's really worth the effort because Notre Dame's going in there and Luke's doing a great job in there. And you got to pick your battles. I mean, battling Ryan Day, battling Jim Harbaugh is not a small battle. But I think Mel Tucker, on paper, this looks like a great hire. I will say, though, that years ago, on paper, Charlie Strong looked like a great hire by many schools that hired Charlie Strong. And Charlie Strong has turned out to be a eh hire. Well, so he, Mel Tucker, with one year at Colorado and five and seven, he did a really good job for year one. But you don't have the track record with Mel as a college head coach that you have with Luke Fickle. Now, boy, Mel Tucker's resume as a college assistant coach is as sterling as yeah. it can get. LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. There's another place he's going to leverage his relationships. Three years at Georgia. Great There's a ton of Georgia. players in Georgia. So you can't get – I this hire makes 100% uh, sense. sense for Michigan State, but it is not a guarantee. You bring Urban Meyer in, that's a guarantee. Okay, but Mel Tucker's not a guarantee, uh, but it's they pulled this out of the fire when Luke said no. Well, it's amazing what money can do, too, yeah. right? Yeah. And and so, no, I mean, when we talk about the money, and I'm happy, I'm glad. I hope the salaries keep going up for these guys. I really do. But then don't ever, ever come to me with you know, schools and say that 
we don't have money to pay the players. Pay the pl- Come on, it, it's just it doesn't work anymore. No, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work. It's so, you know why they don't pay the players really is because they can't figure out how. <laughs> That's the thing. Like Mark Emmert went to Congress this week and he's like, you know, help us figure out a system where we preserve competitive balance. You know what, Mark? There is no a, you don't balance. have competitive balance. You don't. Well, that was your point that they're in the league, but not the same. They're league. in the conference. They're not, not in the same league. Right. You know, you think Wake Forest is in the same league with Duke and North Carolina in basketball? No, they're well, not. What about with Clemson and football? Yeah, and fo- Clemson and football? No. I mean, right here, Michigan State. They're up. They're up here. When people talk about the Big Ten East, it's Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. They're paying their assistants. Half to 40% of what Ohio State's assistants make. Mm-hmm. So it would stand to reason that everything in that program is getting half to 40% of the investment Ohio State is. They don't have the facility at Michigan State that you could you could take a kid through on a tour and have them go, holy cow, look at this place. Mm-hmm. The juice bar and game room. And uh, I mean, I'm sure they got it nice at Michigan State. It's not as nice. Yeah. I, that, well, that I mean, that's that's reality of it, and you know the problem with paying players is you got to figure out how to pay every other athlete on scholarship. Yeah, because if you don't, you're going to have a Title Nine situation, right, and yeah. you just are. And I don't know. Look, are they going to have to cut assistant coaching salaries across the board so that they can take some of that money and pay? I don't know, but this I know: when they were offering Mel Tucker or when they were thinking about Mel Tucker as a $3 million football coach and he wasn't interested, they found a way to make Mel Tucker a 4 to $5 million football coach. Well, they did once they found a yeah. way, once that Luca told them no thanks. Yeah, in a few days they found that money. So, and so what was Luke's deal? Luke was six years for $24 million or I don't remember five, five years for $24 million or something like that. I think it was $4.25 million a year. Yeah. I think Luke's no was a no. I got a text from a guy who uh, said to me after Luke turned it down, he said, Mel Tucker's still in play. And I said, well, did you see his Twitter statement? He's like, I'm telling you, Mel Tucker is still in play. Mm -hmm. And okay, right, Bamo, he was in play. Now he's at Michigan State, and he's uh, put Jim Bowman, Mike Tressel, Mark Staten, Paul Haynes, and Don Treadwell, all names you'd know if you follow Ohio football closely, from either Ohio State, Miami, or Youngstown State, he's put them all on the unemployment line. They are all out of work, and he's going to hire his own guys. And most likely, his heavy emphasis on his staff from Colorado, and as Spiel said, Vince Marrow from or Morrow from uh, Kentucky, uh, Maurice Claret's uncle. Okay, Baker Mayfield story. You and I, uh, I guess, broke sports radio ground on that. It's not been talked about on Cleveland Sports Radio, which I find – amazing because I think it's an absolute fair story from a judgment and maturity angle. I just thought I'd mention it's not being talked about up there. Uh, I wrote a blog about it on SpielmanHooley.com, and uh, it may be a coincidence. It may not be a coincidence. The Browns are right now negotiating their radio rights with the two sports stations in Cleveland. Okay. So they may, those stations may deem it, I want to be careful I say this, they may deem it unwise to do something that would displease the Browns. May, I said may, I'm not saying the Browns are giving them orders, but I'm saying it is a consideration that they would have to weigh before they would clear uh, that topic for their host to discuss. Well, I mean, what's your opinion on it? My you, you opinion live is, there. you uh, know it. I said you, this, I, mean, I you, said you to someone the other day, it. I said to someone the other day, I'm glad I'm not there. This is something I'd get fired over. 
I mean, how do you not I, talk about it? I I just would my would passionately argue that I'm not going to talk about whether it's true or not, but I'm going to be saying that it 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 there is enough proof that it happened that it's a maturity and judgment conversation, and I would use what I used in the blog, which is when Tiger Woods had a car accident, none of us thought it would lead where it led. None of us thought it would lead on a competitive side to him going without a major championship for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. If you woke up on November the 26, 2007, and went to Las Vegas and said, I would like odds on Tiger Woods not winning a major for the next 10 years, they would have given you 10,000 to 1. And if you had made that bet, you'd be a rich man because the next day he had the car accident and everything that transpired from there, and it wasn't all injuries, some of it was emotional and self-image and all that stuff, affected his performance on the field. I'm keeping it to what kind of guy is Baker Mayfield and can I, can I count on him as the face of my franchise? Can I count on him being single-minded in his pursuit of winning, which has been an issue with him before? Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's a fair topic of conversation. I think it's a, it's a, absolutely a fair topic of conversation and because of, again, the judgment of putting himself in this situation. If, if it's fair to talk about and show Kareem Hunt is uh, dealing, dealing with an open container and weed in his car yeah. who's already had his issues, why can't you talk about Baker Mayfield allegedly – uh, doing what he did in Cleveland, I, I don't understand. I and mean, I would say be- every player is fair game. Every somebody's always watching, and so I mean, does this person, unless this person who's accusing allegedly Baker Mayfield is so vindictive that she's going to make a story up to ruin a guy's life, to ruin his marriage, or certainly throw roadblocks? In his, why, what's the motivation behind Where's the that? Denial? Attention to get more likes? Yeah. Or de- Where's the denial from Baker Mayfield if this is untrue? Where's the, I mean, it's just, there's nothing. Now, I mean, to say, well, you know, if he it's addresses really it, then he too. dignifies it. It's like, no, this is on, I mean, folks, this was on a major, major, major radio station in Cleveland. One of the most popular, and it's a syndicated program. So it's all over. And, uh I think everybody up there is going to look silly if there's additional detailing. Have they on talked this. about it yet? The, and I would say too, this is not. It's gone beyond rumor. The I would, if I were making this argument to my program director, I would say the degree to which proof exists that this was indeed Baker Mayfield and this happened. I have enough proof that something happened here. Something happened a pattern of behavior with him. You can check his Snapchat score and find out that he's on Snapchat a lot. Even if, okay, let's just say it's as, in air quotes, harmless mm-hmm. as him receiving uh, text messages of a sexual nature from uh, many women, which would indicate uh, the kind of Snapchat score that he has. That's a judgment issue. That's a maturity issue. That's a divided mind issue. All things that speak to his ability to be my quarterback. Reliable, focused, and, you know, single-minded. All of it. I think we're coming at it from that point of view. Absolutely. I'm not, you know, I don't want to judge what what, what a guy's doing or is not doing. I I, I don't think it's the right thing to do, obviously. And I think if you would take a survey 
It'd be overwhelming that it's not a good choice to make if, in fact, he did make it. But from purely a professional point of view, and if I'm Kevin Stefanski or Andrew Barry or Jimmy Haslam, I'm saying to myself, what are we doing here, man? I mean, I got a billion-dollar business. I've got uh, a diva wide receivers and Jarvis Landry and, and Odell Beckham. I got Kareem Hunt, who can be a great player, but... You know, he, he's he's making poor choices. What are we doing? Do we want to win? Do we do we trust that this guy can make the judgment calls when we need it? If 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 he is doing this, what's his life at home? How's that going? I mean, these are the conversations you have to have. Have to. I mean, can I how, count on this guy or not? How's that, how, how's that going? If, if he's having problems at home. How's that going to affect his on-field play? Then people will say, well, what he does is home his own business. No, it's not. No, it's what you do, whatever business. you do, is the organization's business because it has a direct effect on the team. Yep. Especially, and above all else, that quarterback position. Yeah. We're not making a judgment about his morality. You don't have – you know us well enough to know what our judgment is on the morality. The, the discussion is not his morality. The discussion is his reliability. The discussion is the stability of him at the That's quarterback the whole position. Point. That's the whole conversation. And I think the Browns are derelict if they don't and, yeah, seriously court they Case burst. Keenum. Seriously court Case Keenum because well, he's worked I, with Stefanski. I don't know if you want to commit the money to Bridgewater because if you're going to go after Bridgewater, he's looking for a starting job. And I'm not saying you bail on Baker Mayfield as a starter. But you better have a much more reliable backup quarterback than you have right now. Well, there's now. no more reliable backup quarterback in the National Football League than Case Keenum. I said that on air in the, in the uh, doing the Redskins Giants game. In case uh, ended up coming in or got hurt or was starting or but I watched Case Keenum not only during the game in cases produced when he's had opportunities to produce. He's good enough to get you. Yeah. Middle of the road. That's what he is. And he struck lightning with the Vikings that one year, right? And then yep. he got a big deal in Denver, but then it's back to being Case Keenum, right? Yep. Then he goes to Washington, it's back to being Case Keenum. But if I want a guy that can work with a young guy, Case is as solid as there is as a person that I've dealt with, that I know mm -hmm. of. I watched him work with Dwayne Haskins. I've watched him help Dwayne Haskins. I've watched him encourage Dwayne Haskins. I've watched him consult Dwayne Haskins in a practice. Hey, you threw it there, but you might want to throw it there next time to see that look, mm -hmm. right? That's what I watched. And and I, I'm kind of hoping that this incident, and I'm not even talking, I don't even care if it's true or not true. I, I don't care. But the fact that it's been brought to attention uh, or that – this could happen to anybody, right? You, somebody could falsely accuse you if she's indeed falsely accusing. But uh, the point, that's not even the point. The point is that once again, Baker, you don't have all the answers. Yeah. You are not invincible. Your judgment on certain things you may think is right on. It's not. So the plea to you, when I did the um, radio show up in Cleveland, it was I talked about Baker Mayfield, and it's like something that nobody's ever talked about. Just, I don't, is he like off limits up there, or nobody's allowed to talk bad about him, or I, nobody's allowed to 
Well, they talk about his they judgment. Thirsted so long for an answer there that I think people are just. I mean, it was like people so, were surprised, uh, resistant to the idea that oh, you mean this this guy's not the answer? I think anytime you bring that up and indicate that there are flaws in the judgment, flaws in the maturity, flaws in the devotion to the job, I think people are like, oh no, I don't want to go back down the quarterback search road again. Well, guess what? You know, you got to face reality. What Steve Kime do at Arizona? Drafted Josh Rosen, number one, made a mistake. Fortunately, he has an owner that's patient. Yeah, got rid of him. Seahawks spent a bunch of money on Matt Flynn. Drafted Russell Wilson. <laughs> he pressed him in camp. Guess what? Russell Wilson's our starter. I mean, and I I get the Browns, but it, it's almost like they they have blinders on up there. I mean, does anybody up is anybody up there on talk radio? You, I, maybe they have. I don't know. I mean, you you worked up there. You know the culture up there. You know the mindset. The first thing that entered into my mind when this Baker Mayfield stuff broke and you told me about it when I came over here on, uh, was it Wednesday, Wednesday morning? Wednesday. Well, you got to go get Bridgewater. You got to go get yeah. stability. Yeah. I didn't think about whether he's doing something behind a cheesecake factory. I don't care. I'm caring about what, what I got to get somebody in here. Yeah. What's my job as a GM, as a head football coach to win games and <laughs> I, I need guys I can count on. You were the word you said the other day was dead on. If I'm Kevin Stefanski, I need stability at that position. If there's not stability at that, look at the NFL. If there's not stability at that position, you're not going to win. There's only one job in the NFL. That's to win. There's only one job. In in order in order to look at that, you have to say, okay, well, what do teams that win consistently, what do they have in common? And the number one thing is stability at the quarterback position. The teams that continually struggle, it's a revolving door, or your quarterback is yelling at people all the time and saying, I know what I need to fix. I don't need to hear from anybody else. I mean, I mean, come on. Let's have an honest conversation. I would love to talk with Baker. I would love to talk with him. And I would. And here's what I would say. I, Dude, you got so much talent. Yes, he does. You're, you can be so good. All you have to do, and you got a beautiful way, all you have to do is, is live life and find balance in your life and understand and take it from a guy that had a mindset similar to yours. Now, I wasn't running around uh, even being accused. Excuse me. Right. I wasn't accused of running around hanging out in, in, in cheesecake factories, parking lots. I wasn't that guy. But... I was a guy that thought I had all the answers until a coach told me one time, he told me just, you know, it might do you good to shut your mouth and just listen to what I'm telling you. And for whatever reason, I only listened to my father mm -hmm. at one time in football. I didn't listen to anybody else. And for whatever reason, the light came on and I thought to myself, you know what, what he's saying is pretty good. This could help me as a player. Mm -hmm. And I started watching other players and what they were doing. And I would call and reach out to other players that I respected. What are you doing here? What do you think about this? Should I do this? And I became a better player. And I think if, if he can keep his edge, which I like his edge, mm -hmm. but he can become humble, have a humble edge, he can be so good for this team. I really think if 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 he if he gets out of the mindset that I'm living the a movie NFL quarterback movie like in North Dallas 40. Yeah. If you get out of that mindset Baker, you can be so good. 
You have everything going for you. Let's not throw it away on stupid decisions and stupid choices or stupid statements. Think before you talk. Yeah. The edge outside the building toward opponents is fine. Inside the building, when you walk through the door, you got to leave the edge at the door. And you got to be a sieve and a sponge and you got to absorb things. And I just ask him, what kind of player do you want to be? Okay, what kind of player do you want to be? And then hopefully the answer is, I want to be reliable. I want to be a leader. I want to be the kind of guy my teammates can count on. I want to lead this franchise. Okay, so then what are the activities we need to engage in so we can become the kind of player we want to be? And those kinds of activities involve tunneling in, digging in, mo- removing everything from your life that does not help you win, this does is, not help yeah. you achieve your goals. This is why I can't be um, – well, maybe I could now, but back in the day, why I couldn't be a coach. The because frustration of I make with, emotional. Yeah. I, I would make emotional decisions. Yeah. Or a GM, you'd be like, yeah. he's out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Or recruiting. Yeah. You don't want to come to Ohio State? Then, See ya. Uh, bye. Guys, I'm not five wasting my time. late for an appointment. Yeah. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah. No. I'm, yeah. That what happened. <laughs> I, I was recruiting my agent, Tom Condon, who, by the way, I was one of his first guys ever, and Tom Condon really came on to be basically a super agent. Yes, I mean, is. people in the NFL or followed. Troy Aikman's agent for a while? He was everybody's yeah. agent. Followed NFL, knew that Tom Condon uh, was uh, significant in the, the agent game. I was one of his first guys. So we were going out to meet a uh, linebacker at Brigham Young. I remember this. And um, Tom said, and it was my second year. It was 1989 or 1990, second or third year. And Tom said, Chris, I'm trying to build this business. There's this linebacker at Brigham Young that I really want. I I need you to fly out to Salt Lake City. (laughs) Coach, which even back then I was a travel diva in high maintenance. I said, all right, because we're boys and because you know, I, I really have a lot of respect for you and I thought you've done a good job, I'll return the favor. So I fly to Salt Lake City in the morning. It was a Thursday morning. We're meeting this kid for dinner on Thursday night. So Tom and I leave the hotel and we have dinner reservations at 630 the kid comes in at 6.45 and go through the introductions, and we sit down. Before we order, who do you think you are? <laughs> I fly out here from Columbus, Ohio, to Salt Lake City to wait for your sorry ass, and you're 15 minutes late? Who do you think you are? You have no respect for anything or anybody. The dinner lasted another half hour because our food came shortly. I ate. I got up and left. Tom never closed the deal. Oh, that's what I wanted to know. And he came and he said, look, I I learned one thing tonight. <laughs> What's that, Tom? And I, and I apologize for my behavior, which I did a lot when I was younger. I learned that I'm never going to ask you to help recruit again. You killed the deal. And I apologized to him and in, in that, you know, I gave him from that then on I just did phone calls. If did the guy me. turn out to be a good no. long time NFL player? He was a second round pick okay, and he good. was a bust. Okay. Good. So I saved his ass. Or excuse me, I'm yeah. getting talking football, yeah. so my language is getting a little well, loose. Tom would have Tom would have gotten the uh commission on the uh on the deal. So. Yeah, he would have gotten the commission. Yeah. You are correct. Yeah, you cost but him the a fact that, that but 
And I don't, I'm even to this day, like, I, I don't mind if somebody's late. I've been late. Just call ahead. Yeah. Hey, I'm running five minutes late. I'm running 10 minutes late. I'm sorry. We got phones for that now. No excuse. No, but yeah, know. you're true. But well, back then we didn't have phones, but actually yeah. would have called the restaurant or, hey, tell the two guys from Ohio that are sitting in Utah, <laughs> or where Tom was from, <laughs> Kansas City, but tell them uh, that I'm going to be late, you know, or pay, whatever. And uh, so never again was I asked to go on a recruiting trip for Tom Condon to get players. I'll keep that in mind if we're going to recruit any sponsors here. That I'll leave you out of it. Put you on the phone with them. <laughs> Um, I wanted to touch on a couple crisis management things because people in sports never fail to live up or down to my expectations for them on crisis management. Did you catch any of the Astros quote unquote apologies yesterday or any of the hubbub? Some of it, it. but I mean, yeah, they just refreshed the the, people. The the owner of the Astros, Jim Crane, said that the whole sign stealing scandal uh, had no impact on the field. And then, of course, he got questioned like, well, okay, then why were you doing it if it had no impact on the field, if it wasn't giving you any? And what are you apologizing for? Why did you fire your GM and why did you fire your manager if it had no impact on the field? Well, I'm not saying it didn't have impact on the field. So he threw up all over himself. And then Alex Bregman, one of their really good players, and Jose Altuve, great player, came out and their apologies were wooden and rehearsed. And it was just a disaster. So, again. Was uh, Altuve the one that had the like microphone on his the chest? Little bu- or- the p- people think he had a buzzer on his on his body when he hit the game-winning home run to get him the World Series off of Raldis Chapman because when he came around third base, it's a walk-off series-winning home run, he's screaming at his teammates, do not rip my jersey off. Do not rip my jersey off. Now, why would you say that? And Altuve, in the post-game interview, was like, well, yeah, I'm just uh, modest. You know, I didn't want anybody. Come on, man. Like, if they rip his jersey off, he's got a T-shirt on. No major league player wears a jersey without a T-shirt under it. Yeah. So that's why people think he had a buzzer on that he was worn. Like, hey, buzzer sounds. Uh-oh, here comes a slider, and he hit it, like, into the next galaxy. I think it's a little, little different in football. Not not videotaping to steal signs, but everybody tries to steal. If you get a tell on a guy. You can tell. The fact is, they had video. Pass or whatever. They had video, and they had, like, a... They use computers to, like, program in the data. So, okay, here's he went, like, 3-2, 3-1, 3-2 on the signals. Okay, that means this. They use, the, they use artificial intelligence. If you're looking at a guy on the third baseline and he touches his nose and you're like, oh, that's the indicator. The next thing is he touches his yeah. elbow bunt. I've done that, but it's you're using your own mind. And if the guy's not smart enough to, like, be deceptive in his signals, okay, but you don't use a computer and a banging on the trash can, here comes yeah. a fastball, or there's a buzzer under your jersey, which, by the way, they deny. But why would anyone believe anything they say? So there's crisis management fail. And then Miles Garrett. Now, look, I don't know if Mason Rudolph uttered a racial slur at Miles Garrett when Miles Garrett was taking him to the ground. I don't, that's not how I think. So I wouldn't think to like, call somebody a name while they're tackling me in the course of a football game. But just purely from a crisis management standpoint, this is not me defending anyone using a term like that. Yeah, well, I will say this, and then I'll shut up and let you finish, but I do think there are things said on a football field that aren't... Matt, I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying there's really awful things said between 
players and players, including death threats and all, you know. So do you factor that in like it doesn't have quite the same weight that it would Correct. if a guy walked up to the street and Correct. said it to you? Walked yes. The street? Yes. I've heard so many things on the field or in the bottom of a pile uh, that, you know, are awful. Not all racial. I've heard racial things, but not that are awful. But just from a crisis management standpoint, right. Miles Garrett, remove yourself from the drama of this. You've been reinstated. Yeah, just, move on. It, this does not serve your purpose. This what does he not do? serve. He, he's going to do an interview with Mina Kimes, and parts of it have leaked out already. He's doing an interview on Saturday morning, nine a.m. with Mina Kimes, and he's not only going after Mason Rudolph, he's insinuating that the league has audio of this and that the league is hiding it. Why would he Here's do that? Here's his quote. Most quarterbacks wear mics in their helmets. He somehow lost his helmet, and he had to get another one without a mic. There were guys who were mic'd up near me, near us, during that time who didn't hear anything. And from what I've heard, and that's solid evidence, mm. there, may have, there may have been audio during that game that could have heard something or could not have heard something, but they don't want to say. So something was said. I know something was said. Now, whether the NFL wants to acknowledge it, that's up to them. I'm commenting solely on the crisis management nature of this, and it's horrible. And again, it's exhibit 5,850 that the Cleveland Browns have no clue how to prepare their coaches, their players, their administrators, their owner, or anybody in their organization for how to handle anything from a crisis management situation. When he's reinstated, Miles, do not talk about this ever again. Moving on. We are moving on because it introduces drama to our organization and a drain on our organization. And we are about what, Miles? And hopefully his answer is winning. Yeah. The, I don't understand that. I, I really, it's it's almost like, I, I, I almost feel like you're, I'm looking around here to see if I'm being punked that you're actually telling me this story. Then you're you're pulling it up on a computer and I have to see it. It's cleveland.com. But I don't why doesn't he There's the video. All he has to do is say look, it's unfortunate all the way around. If he wanted to get something How about it, I screwed up? Whatever he well, did. You didn't let me finish. I did not swing the helmet. You yeah, didn't I'm let sorry. me finish. I'm so I'm, so, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I'm very sorry. I am. I do that way too often. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Go I, ahead. I am. I'm an Continue. idiot. I'm an idiot. Let's just I, do the Hooli Bruff This podcast. is horrible. I'm sorry, man. I'm really sorry. You know this is my team. Hot button issue. You just, yeah. Even though you try to deny it's your team, you can't deny it. It's just, you're, it's in you. It's Here's what I was going to say. I'm sorry. It's unfortunate. The whole incident, me, everything was unfortunate. Fortunately, I'm back. It's been resolved. Let's just play football, and I'm just going to win, and I want to play to win. That's it, and uh, end of story. Then you move on. Then people forget about it, but now you're bringing this back out. Now, I don't know if there's pressure from outside forces. Hey, you know, say this, say this. This will build your brand, whatever. Just let it go. I, I don't understand I really don't understand the mindset, and especially up there. There's no – and I would tell Kevin, 
Dude, you have to get this. You got to tell these guys. You can't do this. Well, Kevin Byrne, you mean? Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski. Okay, yeah. Kevin you Byrne have used to, to be there. You have guy. to tell Andrew. Yeah. Ba- no, the PR guy is a mouthpiece and does whatever he's told to do and, yes. and protects whoever he protects. He has no say over anything. The PR guy has nothing. They do nothing. They say nothing. They are, they're, they're robots is what they are. I mean, there's good PR guys, but their job is to protect the coach and the player. That's their only job. I'm so glad you said that because yesterday I was at Ohio State speaking to a class of students, and I said, as much as sports information people are friends of mine and good people, I said, and they work hard. I said, that hard. is the biggest misnomer title in the history of jobs. They're not information, they're protection. It's sports information protection, yes. They protect the coaches and protect the players. That's what they're paid to do, and especially in the NFL. They're paid to do that. They don't say it. They're sports information hiders <laughs> is what they are. Yes. But that's fine. I mean, we all know, that we all know the rules going in, right? He's not going to tell you anything. I don't even – I mean, I thank the sports information guys when they put their quotes out on Twitter – when they put up the, the head coach's press conferences on Twitter, when they send me information regarding the game, but if you're like an investigative reporter or you're looking for it, they ain't going to give it to you. No. Because if they do give it to you, guess what? They're fired. They're yeah. done. The yeah. UN, done. There, there, are, there are entities that get sit-down interviews and private interviews with coaches and players, and there are entities that never do and never will. And the guy talking to you now is a guy who never does and never will get those yeah. because they're, I'm dangerous. They view me as dangerous because I'm not uh, on board. Hey, let me just read you this, Miles Garrett. Let me just no, 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 frustrating. No, this me. Is, now you're getting me all no, frustrated. All right, go ahead. Is this is just why do you say this if you've said the other stuff? Miles Garrett quote to Mina Kimes. I didn't want to try to use it as justification for my actions because there's nothing to justify. There's nothing that he can say or do to justify what I did on that day. I know what happened. I know what I heard. And people say things when they're heated or they're full of emotion, and I leave it on the field. He said it, but that was three months ago, four months ago now, and I leave that behind. Then why are you sitting there talking to her? Then why are you sitting there talking to her? Whose idea was it? I hope it wasn't the Browns' idea. I mean, let's, really, the Browns can say, hey, Miles, like Jimmy can call him and say, hey, Miles, nothing. Yeah. I mean, nothing. If if it was the Browns idea, horrible idea. If it was not the Browns idea and they didn't know about this, that's not good either. <laughs> that's not good either. I would assume that ESPN can't just dial up Miles Garrett and get him to sit down for an interview. By going around the Browns PR staff, and I would assume if you're Miles Garrett, before you do that, you let them know, hey, heads up, I'm doing this. In which case they say, oh, no, you're not. No, you are not doing this. Oh. It's like. Welcome to Cleveland, Kevin Stefanski. Welcome to Cleveland. It's almost a. Does anybody else think this is a clown show? Everyone else thinks no, it's a they, clown not show. Not up there, Bruce. Browns fans. It's amazing. They'll lap this up. I'll get hate emails. What do you have? He called him this. He's bleh. No. We're about winning. We're about winning. Everything else is a priority to Browns fans. But winning. And you know what? I admire their loyalty to their players. 
I admire their loyalty. Well, it's blind loyalty. It, it is. It's not smart loyalty. It is. Well, I, <sighs> I uh, hopefully he just move on from yeah. this. I mean, you know, you've been reinstated for something that you could have been arrested for. Could have been arrested, could have been banned. And and just what and and like if I I look at that situation and I understand his anger and frustration because I've been in those situations and I've been where I'm fighting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team on the sidelines and I'm throwing and they're throwing helmets and going after me or whatever. I've been in fights on the practice field. I've watched a player rip a face mask with bolts, rip it right off another player's helmet. Wow. And and the guy looked like he all of a sudden was from 1920. <laughs> no, this is a true yeah, story. Yeah, I know it is. I know it is. Guy named uh, Lawrence Pete and this other player, I think it was Eddie Grant. I don't know. He's a free agent offensive lineman. And it was a middle of training camp, and their fights back in those days, you know, Bruce, yeah. fights happened yeah. all the time, right? They practicing three times a day. I, I know, and everybody's angry and ticked off and fighting for jobs and all that. And so this free agent offensive lineman is trying to make the team. Lawrence Pete was a really good uh, five or six defensive lineman, but steady, solid, strong, strongest guy in the team. Uh, bench press, squats, just naturally strong dude. I think Lawrence is actually a prison guard now or was at one point in time. But anyway, they're getting in a fight. They're on the ground. And everybody, you know, when somebody's getting in a fight, everybody either tries to they try to break it up, but it's half hearted to try to break it up. They're just it's a chance to get a break or go get some water while these two guys are fighting. So anyway, I happen to stand there and watch this fight, thinking, okay, it's hot out here. Let's, you know, hurry up because this is gonna tick off the coach and all that. So all of a sudden, Lawrence is on top of Eddie Grant, takes his hand, grabs him by the face mask, and it's the most impressive feats of strength I've ever witnessed in my life. Better than any Festivus feats of strength that you can imagine. <laughs> he takes his hand, actually uh, grips the face mask. I see the muscles in his forearm straining, and with one quick pull, pulls the face mask which are screwed in, Bruce, screwed in, yes. off, off the guy's helmet, and the guy's on the ground. Oh, that's it, man. I'm done. <laughs> Look at me. He's doing, like, if you're on YouTube or whatever thing we yeah. got going, he's like, that's it. No more. No moss. He, he threw out the no moss on him. The Roberto Duran no moss. And Lawrence said, okay. Because, I mean, I mean, and, and so I don't even know how I got on yeah, that topic, but, but it's just. Um, it's, it amazes me, but just Miles, just no more, just play, please, Baker, no more, just, just play, yeah. just play, That'd no more nice. stuff, guys. Just go home, watch Netflix, do football, and then when you're done playing, do whatever you want to do. Now, exactly, just let's just play for the Browns, be committed to winning. That's it. That would be nice. That would be very, very so, nice. It's exhausting. Covering the Browns from the <laughs> two men in the Never basement. dull, though. Uh, Buckeye Hoops uh, almost gave one away against uh, Rutgers. I wondered what you thought of Chris Holtman's statement when he came in. They had a 20-point lead in the second half, 13 minutes left. It got down to four. Rutgers missed a three or would have got really dicey. And Holtman came in and he said, you know, if you're expecting me to come in here and grouse about how we won, I'm not going to do it. Uh, it's hard to win in a Big Ten. And we're moving. Yeah. yeah it doesn't happy. have the luxury to about this team a win's a win that's it 
I wouldn't grouse either. He said, I know there are things we got to clean up, but sure. he's like, I'm not going to come in here and gripe about a win. I, and I agree 100% with him. It's I'll, I'll take the win. I, I mean, I'm not going to be upset about a win because I don't know what I'm getting with this team. Boy, that's for sure. So Noon Saturday against Purdue. The Big Ten is weird. Like Iowa lost last night at Indiana by, I think it was double figures. Iowa's a ranked team. Iowa lost to Fran. Pur- Coach Fran. Coach Fran. It's your guy. Iowa lost at Purdue by like 30. Penn State lost at Ohio State by 32 and then beat them by beat Ohio State by 12. And Penn State's like banging on the door of the top 10. I mean, it's at some re- at some point where guys talk about how tough the league is, I sort of go, uh, come on, you know. But I mean, it is a very tough league. It's a very deep league. And um, I don't know what this Ohio State team is going to be. They got to go to Iowa Thursday. I can't imagine DJ Carton would come back and play his first game at Iowa. So that means he'll be gone another week. If they don't get him back, um, second round of the NCAA tournament is ceiling for this team. If they get him back and they get a good draw and fairy dust falls upon my Buckeyes, you might get to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. No? No. Feels what are you not kidding in. me? Feels not in on the. I I, I can't. I can't. No, I, because I I'm not talking with my head. I'm talking it's, with my heart. I mean, between the Browns and the Buckeye basketball team, I don't. Let, mamas, don't let me root, grow up to root for your team. I am a jinx. I am a jinx. All right, uh, we're gonna watch week two of the XFL before we weigh in on some of the rule changes and stuff like that. It's Valentine's Day, Spiels. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um. I had uh, an opportunity yesterday to uh, have uh, coffee with a guy and then met a guy um, who's a really neat guy, Andy. Shout out to Andy. He listens to the podcast. And he responded to, remember a couple weeks ago I said, hey, we're meeting with you sports coaches yeah. trying to figure out what. Yeah. And Andy responded, and I Great. met with Andy. And Andy is a wonderful, wonderful man. He and his uh, church in New Albany uh take a meal to an inner city school every uh, Thursday night, an FCA huddle, and uh, they're there every week. Excellent. Just a great way to serve. And Andy uh, has a baseball training facility in Gahanna, and I just had an awesome time with Andy. And I I told my wife last night when I went to bed, you know, we always review our day to make sure we're invested in each other's lives. And I said, man, I had this awesome meeting this morning with Patty, and I had this awesome meeting with Andy, and I said, God's really surrounded me with a lot of really cool, godly men, and a particular a lot of guys I've met in the past year that I didn't know before. And I said out loud, I said, man, heaven's going to be a really cool place because everybody there is going to be like these guys. And it just struck me that, like, this faith that we share, that you and I share, and that many people who listen to this podcast share, and we want everyone to uh, experience the joy of, it does promise us an awesome future of hanging out with like really cool people who share our belief system and who uh, are all invested in uh, the joy of salvation through Christ. That was a thought I had last So night. one of the things, Bruce, that I've noticed about you, and I've done this for a while now, um, is that you are more aware of the little blessings that happen throughout your day. Um, I think when you were dialed in, uh, one of the, one of the things I admire about you, and I think why we get along, is that our personalities are similar. We're competitors. When we have a job, 
were all in on that job, which you were all in and on radio. I know that when you were a, a beat reporter or a reporter for the Plain Dealer, you were all in, right? I mean, the stories, some of the stories that you share and the lengths that you went to to get the story or to get the quote are admirable. Um, and like me, when I was talking earlier in the podcast about my one-mindedness, I guess, or my focus, my singular focus, what happens when people are, are like that, they don't see the little blessings that happen to them throughout the day. So I was thinking about this actually last night because I'm you had this meeting with Andy. So you thought that as a, a blessing in your life. And it was really cool when they hear what they're doing and how fun that is. One of the cool things that happened uh, last night was uh, my wife and I went out with her ex-husband and his wife hmm. for dinner last night. Now, how many people can be in that situation? That sounds awkward to me. Where we sat there for two and a half hours and had a great time. Two and a half hours and had a great time. And I thought to myself driving home, you know, how lucky, and I said to Karen, I said, how lucky are we that we can sit there with your ex-husband, his wife, me and you, and have a great time for two and a half hours and sit there and, and tell stories and laugh. And, you know, me, once I get to know people, all th- all bets are off, right? right? Sarcasm is flying everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, making fun of myself and making fun of everybody else. And we're laughing and have a great time. And I thought that's pretty cool, right? That's yeah. a That's a really cool blessing to have. In fact, we're actually, um, they have a young, they have two children, a young daughter who's just turned three that we're actually the godparents from for. And so I thought to myself, what, I mean, how cool is that? Very. In a situation where I don't think that's normal, right? That's not normal. So my encouragement to everybody uh, today is to recognize the small blessings in your life, whether, I don't know what it could be. I mean, I know it's Valentine's day and, some people uh, are going to say they love you or whatever. Even like I sent a text out to Happy Valentine's to all my kids today mm-hmm. just to let them know that I'm thinking about them and, and all that cool stuff and that, you know, that it's a sign of love. And and so I just wanted everybody to be encouraged to recognize, have your eyes open. There's a book out. I thought you probably read it or heard about When God Winks, right? You know that? I do not know that book, it's, no. It's just little signs of where God can be present mm-hmm. and how cool that um, for me, how cool it was that I can sit there with my wife's ex-husband and his new wife and have a great time laughing for two and a half hours over a great dinner. That's a pretty cool blessing that one I never thought I would have, but I did. So, and it, but what I'm most grateful for, and this is my prayer for the listeners what I'm most grateful for is the ability to recognize the gift that I was given last night. Hey Amen. That's really neat. Neat, neat uh, implementation of grace. Um, implementation of grace is it's important. I, do you have to go somewhere? No, no. Because you keep reaching for the exit button. No, no. I'm just no. I'm just getting uh, stuff ready for the proper time. <laughs> well, I, okay, but no, I don't have anything. What do you got going on today? 
Uh, I got a I got a Sunday school Valentine's party tonight, <laughs> and I got OSU interviews this afternoon, and that's it. <laughs> I'm just I'm just chilling. But but what you you just what the implementation of grace is that you have to have an a, a willingness in your heart to have grace and to give grace and to receive grace. And I went to, uh, I think I've told this story. I was struggling with something mightily, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a big guilt guy. I think you are too. Maybe you have been in the past. I battle it. Yeah, I battle it. Like, you know, I can't be forgiven or whatever. Yeah. And so I actually went to a confession in Chicago. And I said to this uh, priest, I said to him, you know, I can give grace. I've learned how to give grace, but I can't receive it. And he said, well, you're not telling the truth. I said, what do you mean you're not telling the truth? He said, because it's impossible to give away something that you don't have. Mm. So you cannot give grace if you're not accepting grace from the cross. I left there and I thought about that. You know, how can I give grace if I don't receive grace? And so what I'm encouraging folks to do is if you're if you're if you are are battling something or you have guilt over something, give yourself grace because God's given you grace. Yeah, yes, it's there for you. It's it's just let it go. God's given then once you give yourself grace, give that grace away. And it was really uh, profound. I mean, it really has had an impact on my life. And because the way he told me was almost like, hey, hey, uh, not, it wasn't, it was very direct. Like, what are you, what are you talking about, dude? Who do you think you are? (laughs) I mean, it was almost like, why would, why are you not accepting God's grace, but you think you can give God's grace away if you yourself are so, he didn't say this, but I took it as you're so such a rockhead that you don't accept grace, but you think you can give it away. Yeah, and we can't be <laughs> forgiven if we don't accept the grace. It's a free gift. And, you know, I've told you before and I've uh, confessed on the radio before that I, my struggle is the opposite. I, I want all I can get, and I can receive it, but, boy, I don't give it very often. <laughs> you've been great for me to like say come on dude like (laughs) it's all right the guy you're you're the second chance guy and i've often been the legalist guy that's that's my battle you're a pharisee yeah man huh you were you i I can be i i I battle it i battle it. i've talked to a good friend last night that uh we had the same conversation about you know in his past he was a pharisee you know what put that in perspective for me was I was reading about you know Jesus healing someone, and the Pharisees were mad about it. And I thought, <laughs> how could you be mad that a guy who can't walk walks? How can you be mad that a blind guy sees? And then I thought, well, that's you. Like, you know, <laughs> that's I'm like, you're a Pharisee. Like, you know, that's you. And I was like, wow. But how I cool work was it to, to recognize, though, when, yeah. you, when you actually humble yourself into... That's like listening to God, where yeah. you do a self-examination of where am I falling short here? What's holding me back? Yeah, you know, 
And I, I told you about an experience that happened to me last night that I kind of knew. You handled that well right now. That you handled that well. There's, there, I don't know. There's, I don't know what the right answer is. You're waiting is. for wisdom. That's, that, but the, that's okay to not have the right answer right but, away. But the, go seek it. But, but today being Valentine's Day, the answer right now, and it always will be, is still love. That's right. No matter and and do everything in love. love, and that's what I have to do. Yeah, that's what I have to do. Yeah, and I'm not changing that. Such Keep a pleasure being with you guys today, and uh, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, tell your friends about it if uh, you enjoy it, and you can follow us again on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, SpielmanandHooley.com. You'll find all my OSU stories and uh, blogs. Uh, wrote a blog about Baker Mayfield, why I think it's a story you should pay attention to. And we hope you have a great Valentine's Day, great weekend. Um, email the show with any uh, thoughts, questions, protests, anything. <laughs> Podcast at gmail.com. Have a great weekend. <laughs>